Well, good morning, everybody. How are you today? Good. I'm glad y'all made it out here today. It's been a, uh, a wet weekend, and we, we don't have any uh, relief from that today, unfortunately. But I'm glad to be here. I am super, super excited about where we are in our messages right now. Um, as I alluded in the last week, we're going to talk today about Jesus giving his disciples uh, his power and his authority. And before we jump into that, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6 today. But I wanted to, to just kind of take a minute and review what we've learned over the last several weeks because they all lead into what Jesus is about to do next in his ministry. Luke gives us three different stories that reveal his power to his disciples and to his onlookers. And I love that this morning uh, the kids' uh, video actually covered one of those. And and I love also the 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 words of that song that we sang with the kids this morning uh, and the imagery that comes along with that, the part of it says, as your love uh, in wave after wave crashes over me, uh, for you are for us, you're not against us, champion heaven, you made the way for all to enter your love. You know, this idea we're going to be talking about today is that, that God has called us to share what we've experienced. But let's look again at these three stories. The first one, Jesus shows his authority over na- by nature, and that's what we talked about in the kids' video, that Jesus goes out onto the Sea of Galilee with the disciples. This raging storm shows up, and Jesus calms that storm with his words. And this begins to open the disciples' mind to who this person of Jesus is that they're following. And while that was quite a revelation, they still didn't quite get it because they Luke ends that that passage with the disciples asking the question who is this and then the next story is when they land uh, on at the the shore on the garrison area and this demon-possessed man meets them at the shore and he calls Jesus by the name that Gabriel calls Jesus by the son of the most high and and I've talked about how interesting that is that the disciples who've been following Jesus are asking who is this and then this spiritual being immediately recognizes that Jesus is the son of God and in this second story um the, there, this demon-possessed man is there, and Jesus, there's a conversation that happens. We won't hash that out. But Jesus casts the demons out, and then the townspeople come, and they see that this man is now in his right mind, and they are fearful because they have no basis of understanding of what this could mean, who this man might be. And so in their fear, they push Jesus away, and so they get back in the boat, and they sail back to the area in which they had come. And this is where we find our third story. And after they sail back and they land on shore, crowds of people are there waiting for them. And in this crowd, a man comes to Jesus, the leader of the synagogue, and he says, look, my daughter is very sick and about to die. Would you please come heal her? This man had heard about the things that Jesus could do. And so Jesus says, yes, I will go. And on the way, there's a woman who's been suffering from a bleeding disorder who touches the hem of his, of his robe and his power leaves him and she's healed instantly and so he stops to have this conversation and in the midst of that the man's daughter dies um, and then and, and so a servant comes and says don't bother uh, Jesus anymore because she has passed away but Jesus says no she's not dead she's only asleep and we talked through all of that last week and in this final story the disciples really get this full idea of who Jesus is, that he is the Son of God. The sequence of events shows the disciples that Jesus has power and authority over sickness, over death, over the, the ocean and the, the weather, and over all spiritual things. And in chapter 9, Luke shares how after Jesus takes the time to reveal all of this 
information about who he is, as he gives them these experiences, Jesus is now going to bestow this same power and authority that he has over all of these things to the disciples. So let's look together at Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. It says, Summoning the twelve, he gave them power and authority over all demons and to heal diseases. Then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Take nothing for the road, he told them, no staff, no traveling bag, no bread, no money, and don't take an extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. If they do not welcome you, when you leave the town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everywhere. Man, what a great story. Depending on how old you are, you may or may not have come to the realization that there are going to be certain things in life. There's going to become a point where you become very, very good at something. Perhaps maybe you master something. You become very knowledgeable about it. Typically, that knowledge, that mastery is gained as you acquire years of practice and experience in a particular field of study. Maybe that is something that you went to college and you studied it there, or perhaps you did uh, an apprenticeship with someone. This knowledge and experience is usually gained as you learn from someone else, whether that be a professor or someone uh, that knows the trade already. We see this clearly expressed in the idea of an apprenticeship. And an apprenticeship model of learning is based on the reality that there is someone who wants to master a trade who goes to someone who is already a master and they teach them that trade, right? In order for that to work, the learner must submit themselves to the tutelage of the teacher. The learner goes in with the attitude of, you know all the information, I do not, I want to learn from you, right? That's how that scenario works. In my life, I've been trying to learn a particular set of skills. Since April of last year, I've been trying to learn as much as I can about the profession of surveyors because it's going to help me to do my job better in the design and the project management aspect of what I do at Petron. I've watched hours upon hours of YouTube. Uh, I've read articles. I've learned by trial and error. I've sought the help of a, a professional here in town once or twice before. But earlier this week, I'm texting with Robert, who, if you don't know, is a professional surveyor, and he and I began to talk shop, right? I was expressing some problems, some things I was trying to figure out, and Robert was more than willing to help me figure it out. And we spent a lot of time either texting or on the phone this week, and I can safely say I learned more from him this week than I have learned on my own since April of last year. And the reason for that is because Robert went to school for that. He did it for a number of years under another survey and learned from them until he got to the place where now he's ready to strike out on his own. Him sharing his experience and the mastery of his field with me propelled me forward in a way that I could not do on my own power. I could not have learned as much from a YouTube video as I could from a conversation with somebody who knows what they're actually doing because that's interactive. His time, his knowledge, his experience helped me to understand vastly more than I did a week or a year ago. This kind of teaching is what we've been observing in our stories over the last several weeks. Jesus is showing the disciples, the master is showing the disciples what it means to be a follower of God, to, to join God in what he is doing. In our passage today, Luke shows that Jesus' teaching and the disciples' learning, this process has led them to this particular junction. 
They've been following Jesus for some time now, and they have seen and experienced the power and the authority that Jesus has been given by his Father. They have seen the vastness of who the Son of God is. And as we've already covered, Jesus intentionally expresses and exposes them to these aspects of his sonship. And in the same way that Jesus exposed the disciples, Jesus has been exposing us over the course of our lives. He has done that to prepare you for the task that he has shared, that is shared by all followers. And this brings us to point number one today, is that God prepares us to share the gospel. Before we talk about the power and the authority, we're going to get to that. We have to acknowledge who led us to this moment and prepares us for the work that he puts before us. God's been working in your life, even before you knew it, to prepare you for the things that he's called you to do. Often God will give us experiences before commissioning us to prepare us for the work. A, a very perfect, a very tangible expression of this is with uh, Janet Austin and her professional training to prepare her to lead uh, needs assessments exactly in the time that God has for us a need to do a needs assessment, right? Now she's leading that charge and God has equipped her with the training and the knowledge that she needs, and while some of our experiences are going to be very grounded, very tangible, there's also many of us whose training is going to simply be from the, from the life of faithful obedience. It's not that we have a particular skill set other than our ability to hear God's voice and to do what he says. Last week we talked about Peter and him walking on the water. And I don't know if y'all know this, but Peter didn't go to walking on water 101. Right? There wasn't a course that he took somewhere along the way to teach him how to do that. What was his training? His training was his faith. It was the things that Jesus called him to do. And I know he sinks. We'll, we'll talk about that story more in detail later. But I want us to point out that he didn't have a skill set of walking on water. But Jesus called him out. And you aren't sure if you have the skills or the experiences, but rest assured, God's going to give you exactly what you need to accomplish his goals. When, when Jesus first met Peter and James and John, they didn't know who Jesus was or what he had come to do. Yet, he tells them, cast your nets out of the boat, and they cast their nets out of the boat, and they, they caught this huge catch of fish, right? Answering the call of God isn't dependent upon our experience level, but on our willingness to follow. What I want us to see is that, that you can have various levels of experience, but none of that limits what God is able to do through you. You might be someone who has expertise in a particular area of life that has prepared you to do the thing that God's called you to do. Or you may be the kind of person who has simply learned to listen to the Holy Spirit, to know what he's saying, and to do those things, and that is the preparation that God needs for you. Or you may be a brand new believer, or perhaps not even a believer yet, but God calls you to something, and you're able to do it simply because he's asked you to. Whatever experiences we have are going to enhance how we share the gospel. But no experience shows a total dependence upon God, right? If you don't have any experiences, when you're able to, to walk in obedience, that shows that you are being dependent upon him. 
And some experience, if you have some experience in an area of life and you follow in obedience, it's going to reveal the depth and the length and the vastness of the relationship that you have with God. And it's going to be a testimony to that. Both may be necessary for other people to understand the gospel. If we look at the disciples' lives, we see them pass through all three phases of faith. None, brand new, and experienced. And where they were at the moment didn't change Jesus' ability to accomplish his goals. Church, even when the disciples failed, they learned something new about Jesus and his Father. Even when we don't think we're successful, it doesn't mean that we're not. It sometimes means we've learned the way to not do something. Amen? That's how I learn the most, is by learning how to not do something. When God calls us, church, he knows exactly what we can and cannot do. I want you to understand that he is not surprised by your experience level. He knows you. He calls you because he wants you to be involved and will provide all that you need, not because you are prepared to accomplish his work in your own power. The reality is that there's a strong possibility that you have already had experiences to prepare you and you don't even know it yet. Have you ever had a moment in your life where all of a sudden you're in the midst of a circumstance and you realize, oh my gosh, I dealt with something like this 10 years ago and I had no idea why I went through that, but now I understand. If you haven't, it's coming. All that God is asking of us is that we follow his lead. I had a pastor many years ago that, that loved to use the football analogy to help us understand this concept. And I don't know if y'all know, but it's appropriate to talk about that today because Taylor Swift is going to go to an Usher concert later today. And it's going to be a lot of fun, okay? But the, the little thing that's happening in the midst of that is, is a, a little football game. And in football, y'all probably already know this, the quarterback calls the play, right? You see him getting a huddle. Quarterback's got the fancy thing on his arm. He looks at the plays. He says, this is what we're going to do, all right? And the goal is to get the football from wherever it is on the field into the end zone and score those six points. If a passing play is called, the receiver runs towards the end zone when the ball is snapped, right? They all get in the line. Everybody bends down say hike or hut or whatever it is they say, and everybody takes off running, okay? And the receiver is running, as he's been told, but church, he don't have what he needs to score a touchdown yet. His hands are empty because he doesn't have the football. He's got to run his route as instructed, and the quarterback's going to throw the ball at just the right time so that he can catch it and make it to the end zone. Church, he's on a mission, but he doesn't have the ball. So he can't score the points until he gets the ball. Scoring requires that the whole team is playing their part, right? Quarterback's got to do what he's got to do. The lineman got to do. The receivers, all the, all the positions. Everybody's got to play their role. And they all have different jobs. But when they do their job, the team has the opportunity to score. But what I want us to see is that often when God calls us to something, we don't have the ball yet. It doesn't mean that we don't move. It doesn't mean that we don't go forward. It means that we follow the instructions that we've been given until God sends us what we need. This is what God is asking us to do. Let him call the play, then you run your route and watch for his activity. As you do so, God's going to give you exactly what you need when you need it. And when others see this, they're going to know that you're not playing this game on your own. This is not about you, but rather that you are following something that is much greater than you. 
This brings us to point number two. The mark of a disciple is being led in power and authority by the Holy Spirit. When Jesus called the disciples together to commission them, he didn't tell them to go out and to do what he had been doing in their own power. Look at at verse 1 and 2 again in Luke 9. It says, Summoning the twelve, he gave them power and authority over all the demons to heal diseases. And then he sent them to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Jesus gave them the power and authority to do exactly what he had been doing. This is an incredibly important characteristic of Jesus' ministry. Church, God's never going to ask anyone to do something that is contrary to what we have seen Jesus doing. If it doesn't line up with Scripture, it's not God. That's the litmus test. Jesus didn't tell the disciples to go do some new work. He told them to do what he had been doing. God defined this ministry through Jesus' ministry and then enabled the disciples to do the work. Jesus gave them the same power that he had. But we need to understand that this power and authority over demons and to heal diseases was given to these 12 men for a limited time. This is not blanket power and authority that's given to all believers for all time. God was doing something special in this moment, in this specific time, through these specific people. And we know this because later, Jesus will commission 72 similarly to what he does to the 12. And he's going to send them out to do a similar thing. If it had not been, if this was a blanket power that Jesus has just given to everybody, Jesus wouldn't have had to do this a second time. But Jesus did promise to give all believers something even greater. We're going to look at this more in detail when we get to the end of the Luke study, whenever that will be. But look at this with me at what Jesus tells the disciples just before he ascends to heaven in Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49. It says, He told them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He also said to them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead the third day. And repentance for forgiveness of sins will be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And look, I am sending you what my father promised. As for you, stay in the city until you are empowered from on high. Church, if the power that Jesus had given the disciples on the day he commissions them to go out and to heal the sick... If that power had not ended, there'd be no reason for Jesus to promise that they would be empowered again. John also records Jesus teaching about this gospel. In John chapter 14, verse 12 through 17, he says, Truly I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him, but you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. Jesus was showing the disciples that it was only through the triune God that they could accomplish what he was asking them to do. The disciples had nothing of themselves to offer to anyone. What they had to share was the power and authority given to them by Jesus. They gave this power and authority freely 
to anyone who had need. And in doing so, they spread the good news all over that region. And we'll see the effects of that ministry over the next couple of weeks as we continue on in Luke chapter 9. But I want us to think about this in our own context. We don't have anything of ourselves to offer that will be of much value to anyone. What we have to offer our families, our friends, this neighborhood, is a personal relationship with Jesus. Then they will experience the power of the Holy Spirit for themselves through their own relationship just like you do. And as we know, we're not going to seek these opportunities alone. We're going to look and listen to where God is working and then we're going to join him as he leads. We have nothing in us, church, that can bring about meaningful change in anyone's life. We have, what we have is a relationship with God. And he has revealed his love and his forgiveness, and that's what we have to offer. That's what we can share. In the same way that the disciples depended on the power and the authority given to them by Jesus to, to set them apart, our dependence upon God alone will set us apart from other organizations. When people see the work that God is doing through us, it is going to be obvious that it is not us. It is going to be obvious that it's God if we are dependent upon God's abilities and not on our own. In verses 3 and 4, Jesus gives instructions on what to take with them and where to stay. Look at that again. It says, take nothing for the road, he told them. No staff, no traveling bag, no bread, no money, and don't take an extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there and leave from there. Jesus was accomplishing two things by asking the disciples of this. First, he's teaching them to rely on him alone for all the things that they're going to need while they're on their mission. Church, that's a good word for us. God's called us to something very specific, but we have to rely on him for the provision that it's going to take to do that. Kerry's going to talk about a much deeper meaning about that when he preaches in a few weeks. I'm super excited about the things God's been speaking to him about that already. Just a little teaser. That's going to happen in a couple of weeks. Second, Jesus' requirements separated them from the traveling philosophers of their time who made their living by taking advantage of those who offered to host them. At this time in history, there's these itinerant philosophers who went around from village to village sharing these grand ideas, and people would invite them into their home. And then maybe somebody who was a little bit richer, who had a little bit more to offer, would then say, no, 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 won't you come stay with me? Imagine going to stay with someone, and you get your bags unpacked, and then someone else says, why don't you come stay with me? And you're like, oh, hey, guys, I know I was going to use your guest room, but actually I'm going to go over here to this other friend's house and stay with them tonight. How awkward that would that be, right? But that's what these guys are doing because they're always looking for that better offer. Jesus didn't want his disciples to be confused with those kind of people. For those itinerant philosophers, their goal was, I want stuff for me. That's what they're looking for. So Jesus says, don't take anything with you. Don't ask for anything. You take only what's offered. And if someone offers for you to stay there, Stay there and don't leave their house until it's time to leave that village. Jesus sent the disciples out to spread the good news by revealing the power of God, and so they went. And this brings us to the last point. Jesus equips the disciples, the early church, and the church today to share the gospel. Look at verse 6 again. It says, So they went out and traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing everyone. 
God has given us the same call to share the good news that he gave the disciples. We've talked about this before. This is not my call only. This is not just the call of preachers or teachers. This is the call of every believer to share the gospel. What does that mean, Will? It means to share the good news, that we were separated from God by our sin, but God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to remove that sin so that we could be reunited with God. That's the good news, is that the thing that all of us struggle with, sin, it's all the same. Jesus came to take care of that. While we didn't receive the same power and authority the disciples got on their commissioning day, we are given something greater. Rather than having the power and the authority of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. In the passage from John 14 that we read a few minutes ago, we're told that we would be able to do the same things and even greater things than Jesus because Jesus was going to the Father. Look at how John, can, or, yeah, look at how John continues to teach on this in chapter 14, verse 23 through 26. Says Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. My Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but from the Father who sent me. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything. that I've told you. Jesus gave the 12 his power and authority, but they had it for a limited time. It's like if your car broke down and I said, you can borrow mine until yours is fixed. But the expectation is, is that I'm going to get my keys back and you're not going to be able to use my car anymore. Versus, hey, your car broke down. Here's a new car. You see the difference? The difference was that, that Jesus limited their power and authority to that specific time. But what Jesus has given us is far greater because there is no limit. When we receive Christ, the Holy Spirit indwells in us for the rest of our lives. There is no limit to how long he will be there or what he will do. Jesus said that we would do greater things than he because what we have been given has no limits. God can do anything through us that he chooses. We're given a glimpse of that power when the Holy Spirit rained down on the disciples at at, at Pentecost, when they waited. We see that in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit is now living inside of every person who receives salvation. And the Holy Spirit is what equips us and qualifies us to share with others. This is what we have to offer. Church, this is what we have to offer. Is God going to use our experiences or lack thereof to enhance what he's going to do? Absolutely. But those qualifications is not what qualifies us to share. It's the Holy Spirit. When God calls you, it doesn't matter who you are or where you are in your relationship with him. He knows you. He loves you. And he equips you to do the work he's called you to do. This mission will certainly benefit others. But here's what I want us to understand is that it's going to have a far greater impact on your personal life than it probably will the people that God's called you to. I don't know if you've ever experienced that before. Maybe you've gone on a mission trip thinking, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to build these houses and I'm going to change people's lives. And what really happens is you go over there and you swing a hammer for a couple of days and you come back a different person because of what Jesus did in yours. 
as we're thinking about the, God, the call that God's put on us for this neighborhood, I want us to understand that, yes, it's going to have huge implications for the neighborhood, but it's also going to have huge implications for your personal walk with Jesus. You are going to learn more about him than you ever have at any other time in your life because you are on mission following him. Jesus, I want you to think about this, sent these 12 out so they could have these personal experiences as they exercised the gifts that he gave him. Okay? People experienced what God was doing through him. But each person only had their own experience. If, if a disciple showed up and healed me, I have that one experience. And perhaps they did something in a neighbor of mine, and I had a piece of that experience because I was there. But I want you to think about the fact that the disciples had all the experiences. They were on one side of that. And so if the disciples, if the 12 went out and each one of them healed 10 people, that one disciple doesn't have one experience. He has 10. As God is working in our lives, all of those experiences are being built up into us. And they're, they're increasing our faith. They're increasing our understanding of who God is. Every time they saw God work through them, their understanding expanded. Their love increased. Their view of God's power and goodness grew. And God wants that same thing for each of us. But we've got to talk about verse 5 before we get out of here. I want us to understand that just because God has called and equipped us doesn't mean that people will accept what God wants to do in their lives. Look at verse 5. It says, If they do not welcome you when you leave that town, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. This idea of dusting off your feet comes from their Jewish traditions. One of the commentaries I read this week talked about how anytime a Jewish person would travel to a Gentile region, on their way back to Palestine, before they crossed over into Palestine, they would take their sandals off and literally dust the Gentile dust off of them so they didn't defile Palestine. Okay, this was ingrained in who they are. This goes back to that topic of cleanliness that we talked about last week. Jesus wanted the disciples to spread his message. But if people weren't receptive, they were to move on to the next village where people would be receptive. In our context here, God isn't necessarily saying that he's going to move us to a new community. But some in our community are not going to want to hear what we have to say. And as we talked about in the last couple of weeks, they're not rejecting us primarily. They're rejecting God. If that happens, we're of course going to be sad for that person. But we're going to move on and focus on those who do want to hear God's message in love. This is what Jesus was instructing the disciples to do. But I think it's worth considering that their mission was limited in duration while ours is not. God has called us here. We've planted a church in this neighborhood. We're not going anywhere unless God says to. The disciples had a finite amount of time to accomplish their work. And so if someone rejected the message, they just moved on. We're going to be here until God says to move somewhere else. Therefore, we have time to let God to continue working on their hearts. And as God is doing his thing, as he does it, and we're doing the thing that God's telling us to do, eventually the Holy Spirit's going to accomplish the goal that he set out for that person. They're going to see God's work through us. They're going to recognize that as God's work. And God is going to soften their heart. That part isn't, that's not something we do. That's something the Holy Spirit does. But our role in that is to continue to be God's people, to be God's church in this community, to love people where they are, and then God is going to do what only God can do. Scripture says that no man comes to the faith on his own, but he's called by the Holy Spirit. 
That's a work that God does. But our role in that is to be God's hands and feet in this community so that people can understand, so that they can see, so that they can feel a tangible, loving God. In obeying God's call, we will grow from where we are right now to where God wants us to be. And in growing, we will find peace, we'll find love, we'll find the joy that all people long for. God has prepared us for this. God has given us directives that will prove that we are his disciples. The things that he's going to ask us to do are going to make it very obvious that we are not doing this in our own power. We're not the white saviors coming in to fix everything. We are just people that love God. And that love overflows out of us into this world. God has equipped us with the Holy Spirit. If we will listen and obey our lives and the lives of our community will be forever changed. And we will know God in greater ways and they will too. The result of our work with God will be many hearing the good news and God healing the broken parts of all of our lives. Next week, we're going to see the the ministry's result on the entire region where Jesus sends the disciples out. And we're going to get a glimpse of what our work here may do for others. But we'll talk about that next week. Let's pray. Father, I ask that as we think about the mission, the call that you've given us in this community, Father, that we would not respond in fear. God, I ask that each of us this week as we meditate on this message, as we think about the words that you have from us in Luke chapter 9, verses 1 through 6, Father, that you would ingrain in our minds that it is you who equips us. It is you who calls us. It is you who accomplishes the work through us. Father, I ask that our response to your call would be excitement. Father, that we would be on the edge of our seats waiting to hear a word from you so that we could join you in what you are already doing. Father, if there are areas in our lives where there is fear, God, I ask that you would root that out, that you would confront that fear and help us, instead of feeling fear, to feel trust, that you would build our faith in that area of our lives. Jesus, we thank you so much for all that you have done for each of us personally, God, and we ask for opportunities to share that goodness, that love, that joy with the people around us who so desperately are longing for it. Jesus, we ask these things in your name. Amen.